welcome to Weekend Warriors, the weekly podcast about foreign affairs, or as I like to say, we answer the question, so what else is going on? I'm Essie Cup. This week, we go to Turkey, where the story of Jamal Khashoggi unfolded, well, like a movie. The U.S. resident Washington Post reporter entered the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul just over a week ago. He was there to pick up documents related to his upcoming wedding. Video footage shows him entering the building, but it never shows him leaving. It does show, however, a 15-man team entering the consulate around the same time and leaving a short while later with boxes that they put into a van. We now know those men flew from Saudi Arabia that day. It is believed they were sent there to kill Khashoggi, a well-known Saudi dissident who's been highly critical of Saudi crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. I will not draw the obvious conclusion about what might have been in those boxes. So what happened to Jamal Khashoggi and what will we do about it? Well, joining me now, CNN national security analyst Sam Vinograd. Sam, um, first let's lay out some of what we know before getting to what we should do about it. We know from CNN reporting that the U.S. has intercepts of Saudi officials discussing a plan to lure journalist Jamal Khashoggi back to Saudi Arabia and detain him. That's according to a U.S. official familiar with the intelligence. That official said it's unclear if the original plan was to murder Khashoggi or if something just went wrong at the consulate and that he might have been killed during an attempt to kidnap him. How likely do you think it is that he was killed by Saudis inside that building? I think it looks increasingly likely that he was killed by Saudis inside that building, largely because of their response. If he hadn't been killed, I think we would have seen the crown prince take such a different kind of reaction to these allegations and to produce Jamal. It's not that difficult to say he wasn't killed. Yeah. This is him. This is a proof of life video, photograph, anything. But the failure to actually show that he's still alive really tells me, and we have to see if an actual investigation is allowed to go forward, Mm -hmm. that something horrific happened inside of a consulate, which, by the way, is supposed to be a place of refuge for a country's citizens. Instead, it looks like that safe haven where people often go to to flee persecution and danger was a scene of a heinous crime. Yeah, a honey trap uh, of sorts. Um, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, he has denied uh, Saudi involvement in this. He's reportedly reached out personally to the White House. He spoke with, uh, unbelievably, Jared Kushner, with whom he's uh, apparently developed a close relationship. But uh, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State John Bolton, were on the call, too. Will we begin to see uh, more pressure being brought to bear on the Saudi government? We're definitely going to see pressure being brought to bear on the Saudi government by Congress. Yeah. That's already underway, and we can we can talk about that. On the White House side, there seems to be a reticence. And I will say it is not unusual for the kingdom to directly call the White House when okay. there's an issue. I worked a lot with the Saudis when I was at the White House. The highest profile, most substantive negotiations were done between D.C. and Riyadh. They uh-huh. were not really done out of the embassy because of the sensitivity of the relationship and a lot of the issues that are being worked on. The fact that Secretary Pompeo and Ambassador Bolton were on that call 
does tell me that the White House is taking a different posture because in the past, Kushner has really been the point person with MBS or Mohammed bin Salman, as we call him. Mm -hmm. This shows, okay, this is an incident that will have diplomatic repercussions, or already is. It's having national security implications, could have more. And while Kushner may be the intermediary, Mm These other cabinet-level officials needed to be on there to really ascertain what's going on. Interesting. Um, Is this a a Saudi MO to kill a journalist outside of the country? Uh, I'm hearing that the Saudis were perhaps caught off guard by the international response to Khashoggi's disappearance. I cannot for the life of me imagine that the kingdom would be caught off guard by the international community Mm -hmm. declaring that gross human rights violation is reprehensible. Saudi Arabia is ranked 169 for press freedoms around the world. There's out of 180. It is no secret that they try to silence opposition. There is no free press in Saudi Arabia. Right. It is no secret that Saudi Arabia is a gross violator of human rights. Remember, Canada criticized them for a human rights violation, and the kingdom went apoplectic and basically cut off diplomatic ties with Canada. So they don't like taking criticism of their domestic policies. Indeed, inside. I'm just wondering this was in a third-party country. They sent Saudi officials, allegedly, to another country. Uh, how, How... unusual is that or is it is it not i think it's highly abnormal for mm-hmm. state sanctioned assassination in a separate country i think that the i don't think you could name any country maybe one comes to mind that typically engages in targeted assassinations russia, <laughs> russia and israel used to do it oh, i mean uh-huh, israel uh-huh. Um, used to engage in targeted assassinations that's a, a matter of public record and russia certainly does as well russia yeah. did it in the uk in london right and has done it in other capitals where people just end up poisoned or yeah. unconscious or beaten in some way, shape, or form. Saudi Arabia, I don't think we've heard of them taking this tactic to date. And the question becomes, if they did it, did they just think that no one would care that much right. or that the United States and others would say, you want to know what, this is awful, mm-hmm. but our relationship with you is it's so steadfast important. that mm-hmm. that outweighs any kind of strategic yeah. response. Well, and I want to talk uh, a little bit more about the U.S. and what we should do. But first, because this happened in Turkey, the world is watching President Erdogan's response. He told reporters today that Turkey, quote, cannot remain silent on the disappearance of Khashoggi. They've requested access um, to the consulate. They want to send their officials in with forensic analysts, etc. What do you think Turkey needs to do? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm grinning a little bit because the irony here, of course, is that Turkey is no great protector of press freedom or human rights. Right. On the same World Press Index, Turkey's ranked 157, mm-hmm. and Erdogan is accused of misusing all of his powers to silence opposition. I don't yeah. think we've heard of him assassinating someone in another country, but he's certainly no great protector no. of the freedoms of opposition within his own country. Mm-hmm. And so what does Turkey need to do? Turkey needs to join the international community, multilateralize this in national security speak, Mm -hmm. and get other countries that have a strong relationship with Saudi to say, we need answers. Mm -hmm. If you cannot produce Jamal, Mm -hmm. we are going to assume that you did something to him. And if you don't produce him, we're going to sanction you. We're going to cut off arm cells. We're going to take these steps. Turkey is just less credible on this because of their own internal policies and because of their relationship with Saudi Arabia generally, with Iran, which is Saudi Arabia's greatest uh, enemy. So the best thing that they can do is get other voices to join Mm -hmm. in, in demanding answers. It's a bad look. 
it's for a, Turkey. It's such a bad look for Turkey. Turkey's been wearing a bad look ever since Erdogan came into power. <laughs> right. And so this is, I don't want to say anything about Jamal's potential death is convenient, but this is a convenient yeah. moment to point the finger at another country mm. for something that they're doing wrong when Erdogan himself is guilty of so many um, abuses of press freedoms yeah. and silencing his own opposition. Do you think um, Erdogan and Mohammed bin Salman, do they talk, do you think? Uh, I don't know if they've talked recently. I would imagine that they do. Um, Turkey has been involved with Iran and Russia in negotiating, supposedly negotiating, in air quotes, uh, yeah. an end to the conflict in Syria. So right. Turkey Turkey has been speaking with Iran a lot mm-hmm. and has been more allied with Iran recently than it has with Saudi Arabia, yeah. which certainly won't make Saudi very happy. No. But I do wonder if President Trump has spoken to the king, if Erdogan has spoken to the king, what other capitals mm-hmm. are calling up the king and saying what's going on? Or calling up the crown prince. He has friends other than Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner's not special in that regard. Mm -hmm. And we know from reporting that came out, gosh, almost a year ago now, the Saudis knew that they could play Jared Kushner a little bit and try to get him to be uh, more favorable towards their interests because of his inexperience. There were intercepts. There was leaked intelligence on that as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sam Vinograd, stay right here. We're going to be right back with more Weekend Warriors. This week on Boss Files, Lando Lake CEO Beth Ford says that despite the coronavirus outbreak, farmers are still working hard to bring food to the shelves. Yeah, there's plenty of food right now, and actually farmers are still working. This is an essential industry as defined by the government, but it was actually as defined by all of us, and we know that. Tune in for the latest in our series of conversations with leaders about how they're coping with all of the uncertainty and the challenges presented by the coronavirus pandemic. Welcome back to Weekend Warriors. I'm Essie Cup. I'm talking to Sam Vinograd about the disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi inside the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul, Turkey. Let's talk now about the U.S. response, because Jamal Khashoggi is a U.S. resident. He's a reporter for The Washington Post. He is one of ours. To say this puts us in a bind is putting it lightly. A- We're supporting the Saudis in a protracted war in Yemen. B, we do billions in deals with Saudi Arabia. C, it's a strategic ally in our opposition to Iran and an important partner in the region. What do we do? Well, not to mention the fact that Saudi Arabia uh, produces so much oil. And according to both President Trump, the crown prince, um, in a recent Bloomberg Bloomberg interview said this as well. Saudis increased oil production at President Trump's behest. So all of these things hang in the mix. And the question really becomes national security. You often look at different priorities and risks and associated costs. And in this case, do the risks of having a muted response on this and really condoning extrajudicial killings and attacking the media, do those risks outweigh potentially Saudi Arabia Responding to a stronger U.S. condemnation by, let's say, bringing more oil offline, saying, hey, we don't want U.S. arms anymore. And the crown prince hinted at this recently. He said in this Bloomberg interview, you want to know what? We have other options. Do, we can but look do at, they? They do. Russia. Uh-huh. Now, they would they would trigger U.S. sanctions if, if they bought Russian arms, but Russia could fill that gap, just like Russia's been trying to fill gaps. Turkey has bought Russian arms. Uh, India is looking at buying Russian arms. So I think Saudi Arabia would have other options on the arms side. But can 
considering Russia's relationship with Iran, how complicated would that make it for Saudi Arabia to start relying on Russia? Saudi and Russia have actually been getting closer. Hmm. The king um, and Putin have been in, I won't say regular touch, because it's not like the king spends his life on the phone or tweeting like our president. But uh, he has started and has been developing a closer relationship with Vladimir Putin. They've had Maybe visits. Maybe as a sort of a backup? I think that Russia is trying to be a backup everywhere in the region where we are not as strong. And the Saudi-U.S. alliance, 70 years in the making, is definitely strong. But if if Saudi Arabia, if we said something and said we are going to sanction you, whether it's because Congress said that we will or the White House took a stronger stance, Saudi does have leverage. It's the arms sales. It's the oil. And it's turning to others. Um, versus that we would fear, right? That we would fear, yeah. and that um, are inimical to our interests in the yeah. region. And we do do important work with Saudi Arabia right. on counterterrorism, on countering Iran. And I traveled to Saudi Arabia to get them to increase production back when oil was actually above 120. It's at 80 now. So the president, I think, or we know, actually is focused on that oil price. Yeah. And Saudi's really the decision maker on that. Um, I want to talk about what Trump has said about this in a second, but first, a bipartisan group of senators, as you mentioned, I think I think every senator but Rand Paul. Yes. Which, uh, side, <laughs> sidebar. Sidebar. Uh, we need a whole other podcast to talk about Rand Paul and foreign policy, but uh, they wrote to the president calling for the White House to determine what happened to Khashoggi, whether sanctions should be imposed on whomever was responsible. That triggers an investigation, right? It does, under something called the Global Magnitsky Act, right. which was really done to punish Russia for torturing and killing a Russian dissident. That was expanded to include any country that engaged in gross human rights violations. So this investigation uh, is now triggered. There's 120 days. Mm-hmm. And if Congress thinks that Saudi Arabia engaged in gross human rights violations, it imposes sanctions. And the sanctions actually would matter. Let's say they were against a host of Saudi nationals that had either family in the U.S. or assets, they would be denied a visa to travel to the U.S. Their assets and property would be seized. Mm -hmm. The Saudis that have assets here is probably not insignificant, and they'd have a lot more trouble doing business with certain U.S. banks. So it would certainly be uh, a not insignificant cost. And Senator uh, Rand Paul, who you mentioned, (laughs) is also looking at restricting arms sales to Saudi Arabia, which would be something that the White House, I'm I'm a little confused about it because it's something the White House doesn't want and Rand Paul's going against the White House, which right. he's Again, been one of the whole other podcasts. Yeah. Yes, he's been one of their cheerleaders on so many things. So both of those things could happen uh, for sure and would not be insignificant in terms of Saudi's um, cost with that. So this investigation, this congressional investigation, how does that happen? What does that look like when we're talking about a Saudi Arabian consulate inside another country, Turkey? Well, it would be difficult under any circumstance, but in this one, we have to assume that that consulate has been scrubbed clean. <laughs> sure. So at this point, it's like, okay, you guys can come in. You can check everything out. But it's how long after the potential mm-hmm. crime happened? Yeah. And the Saudis aren't amateurs. They're not going to leave, you know, gross evidence of what happened lying around. But I think the real question is, let's just say Congress is dissatisfied with the answer and feels like they cannot definitively say that Saudi didn't do this. Yeah. Will they move ahead with the sanctions? I think in this case, the answer is probably yes. Mm. Because Saudi is engaged in not wonderful things in places like Yemen. Remember, we just recertified that we would continue supporting their operations in Yemen, which was highly controversial because of their civilian casualties. Yes, uh, we've talked about that on on a a separate Weekend Warriors podcast, all of which complicates this um, awful, awful situation. Finally, um, 
Trump sounds reluctant, as you mentioned, saying that blocking further arms sales to the Saudis would be hurting us and that U.S. economic success was due in part to, quote, what we are doing with our defense systems. He said, frankly, I think that would be a very, very tough pill to swallow for our country. What do you think is going on in his mind right now? Well, I don't disagree with him that it would impose a significant cost on us in two ways. One, Saudi Arabia, as you mentioned, is fighting Iran in places like Yemen. We need that. We need that. <laughs> we need Saudi Arabia's, mil- Saudi Arabia's military to have the capabilities it needs to counter Iran, region, yeah. to protect itself from Iranian missiles that have actually been flying into Saudi, right. to countering extremism, which the president, his first international trip was to Saudi. So for all those reasons, cutting off arms sales would impose a cost on us national security wise but the question is what is the cost of inaction and of condoning potentially the extrajudicial killing of a dissident in a third country what pandora's box does that open for the american people i know that the president wants to sell arms to saudi arabia i know yeah. that the president wants to create jobs based on those arms sales of course we all want that but if we condone gross human rights violations this time around, what's to say it just won't happen again? I think you and I understand the sort of existential threat of that, the stakes. I'm not sure this president feels that responsibility as intuitively as perhaps we do and other past administrations have. That deeply concerns me. It deeply concerns me. And human rights is not a convenient afterthought when you get through all the other national security business that you have to do. Nor is it a chit, right? No, it's not. And it's not something that you get around to when you get through arms sales and oil prices (laughs) because, again, of the risk of this being the first episode. And then what happens in six months when somebody does it again? That's just momentum that you can't control. And and red lines, as we know, are so dangerous to set and then not. Yes. And on the arms sales side, the last thing I'll say is, you know, Congress came up, was under, was highly, highly upset that the State Department recertified these sales to the Saudis. That was a real blow in many ways to the human rights regime around the world because of civilian casualties. My gut is that Congress, looking at what happened this time around, is going to err on the side of believing the Saudis did do this because of their record in other places, both in the country and elsewhere. And so this may not be up to the president. And it would be a bad luck, to quote you, for the president to veto legislation holding a human rights violator accountable. Right. Sam Vinograd, really appreciate you coming on Weekend Warriors to discuss this really important story. Appreciate it. Thanks. That's it for us. I'm Essie Cup. Join us next time for another Weekend Warriors. <laughs> <laughs>